uh, you know, I was just thinking, Proverbs 15, that's where we're going to go. I, I was just thinking, I talked to someone today, uh, one of the members here, and uh, the, the, sub, the subject came up about uh, Russia and China and what's going on in the Middle East now. Russia, of course, uh, send, sending their jets into Syria and the bombing that has taken place. And so I, I looked at a couple other websites that I go to often and, and uh, just read parts of some different articles and you know, I thought to myself, I, I don't think any of us really understand how rapidly uh, and that things can really change in a hurry. But, you know, then the thought struck me that it's so easy for us to get distracted from the work at hand, so easy for us to get distracted to the point that we forget about, you know, all of the good things to rejoice in. And uh, so when I came in tonight, Brother Keith was sitting there, and he'd already been here for a while, and said he liked to get here early and just come in and sit down and relax. And I said, you know, that's exactly what we used to do after, after I trusted Christ as my Savior. We always got to church early, I mean, before anybody else. Uh, and, and we would get there, and back then you didn't lock the doors to the church building. Uh, didn't have to worry about that. So we'd go in, lights wouldn't even be on, and we'd just go in and sit down and sit there. Me and Bev and, uh, see, at that time had uh, two kids, uh, uh, let's see, had, and a baby, two, uh, three kids. One of them was a baby. But we'd go in and just sit there sometimes 30 minutes before anybody ever come in. And it's really good, to, uh, like on a Wednesday night, whenever we're just so involved in so many different things, to be able to just come apart and get together and open God's Word and and look to Him. That's why I always referred to Wednesday night as being like you know the clothesline prop uh, here in the middle of the week to prop us up, and uh, we need that. Well, Proverbs chapter 15, we're going to go. Like we've been doing just verse by verse in this chapter. Don't have any, any fancy cute outline or anything like that. We're just going to look at each verse independent of the others. So naturally that means we start in verse number one. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife. Well, I was just talking about all of the other stuff going on in the world today, and sometimes we get all bent out of shape about things that we can't control and things that we can't change. And you know, when you get right down to it, we cannot control what uh, what others do, whether it's your husband, your wife, or your kids, or your parents, or whoever it is. You can't control them. You know, somebody... Uh, somebody says, well, you know, I'll tell you what, as long as they live in my house, they're going to follow my rules, they're going to do it my way. Well, yeah, but uh, then they can get 14 years old or something like that and run away from home, too. You can control people only so long, and then they're going to do what they want to do. Now, the point is, while we can't control others, we ought to be able to control ourselves with God's help. And, and 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 so many arguments could be avoided if we just simply did what this verse says here, and that's what lower our voice. A soft answer turneth away wrath. 
You know, whenever we're determined to fight fire with fire, and you know, we start shouting back at the other person, all we do is make matters worse. And uh, a lot of times the original problem isn't near as bad as the problem that ensues from the grievous words that are spoken during uh, during the debate. Every Every husband and wife knows something about this because there have been times where you'd end up in an argument and you look back and you think, what did it start over? And it was some little petty thing. It didn't amount to a hill of beans. And one of you said something that offended the other one and the other one thought they had to answer back. Your voices keep getting a little bit louder and after a while you're shouting at one another and then you say something really dumb like, well, you're just like your mother. And then she says, oh, you're going to bring my family into it now, huh? And well, it, it just goes on and on and on. And the point is, a soft answer can prevent a lot of serious problems. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe we think we can make our, our point better by yelling. Now, I know whenever you're preaching, there's something to be said for lifting your voice, you know, and uh, speaking out. Uh, uh, but some of the best preaching I ever heard didn't involve screaming and yelling. Uh, you, you, a lot of you have heard me say whenever I first started preaching, the first few years especially, Monday morning I couldn't hardly even open my hands. They'd be all swollen up from beating the pulpit. and I, I've knocked the tops. I was in, preaching for Norman Wells one time at Central Baptist Church. Uh, in, 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 well, Charles Charles Hayes was there Right after that, it might have been him. Anyway, I just knocked the whole top of the pulpit out. It just, it just fell down. And, and uh, finally one day I realized I was preaching a revival meeting in Kansas City and getting these sharp pains and, 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 and losing my vision, getting dots. And somebody said, man, you're about to have a stroke. You better settle down. And so, so I started, you know, trying to change a little bit. The point is... You know, while there might be a time for emphasis sake to raise your voice, uh, certainly during an argument, that's not a good time to ever raise your voice and start screaming at one another. And uh, by the way, whenever he talks about speaking softly here, it doesn't mean that our answer is weak. You can say absolutely anything you want to say and and say it in a soft, non-threatening voice. I mean, you use exactly the same words, right? But boy, whenever the emotions get into it, well, that's when we get in trouble. And uh, there are just a lot of folks that, uh, that, that are weak in that area to where somebody says something that offends them and they think they've, they've got to be right back in their face. Well, a soft answer turneth away wrath. And I don't know about you, but I never did really enjoy fussing and fighting, not as Christians especially. But grievous words stir up anger. And so hopefully tonight we take this as a good reminder to not make matters worse by raising our voice and screaming at others. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise. Well, here we go. Uh, he's right back on the same subject having to do with our speech. The tongue of the wise 
useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Now, I know I've said it over and over and over again, but for emphasis sake, I want to keep reminding you the book of Proverbs is all about contrast. It's a contrast between wisdom and folly, a contrast between good and bad and righteousness and unrighteousness. And so that's why in these verses over and over again, you'll see a contrast. There's two sides to the coin. And he says, the tongue of the wise... And notice what he does. He useth knowledge aright. You see, a wise person not only has knowledge, he knows how to appropriately express it, how to use his knowledge. When we think about wisdom, uh, a lot of times uh, the wisest people that you know may not be the best educated people that you know. You know, wisdom has to do with knowing how to properly use the knowledge that you have. On the other hand, there are a lot of people that get a lot of a lot of knowledge, uh, very knowledgeable, in fact, and uh, and yet they do not know how to use it. And notice what he says: they poureth out foolishness. That word "poureth out" tells us that it's in an abundance. They don't just occasionally say something and do something that is foolish. It's something that is habitual in their life. They poureth out. Foolishness, and you no doubt know people like that, that you can't be around them for a minute, but what they're, you know, uh, speaking something that is just, just foolishness. That's, that's, that's all, all you can say. The only way to describe it. And that's the way they are. But the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. I think it's real interesting that, you know, this follows the first verse when we're talking about a soft answer. And uh, not only should we speak softly, but we ought to speak wisely as well and know how to use the knowledge that we have. And then verse number 3, he says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Now remember, God is spirit. And uh, consequently, you can't see God. You can't touch God. God is infinite, and God is invisible. And therefore, how do we describe a person that is infinite and invisible? Well, the only way to describe God is to, is to use figurative language. Uh, we go to describe God's power. For example, what do we do? We talk about God's hands and God's arms when we think about God's mighty power. The arm of the Lord is strong and so forth. Uh, because that's the only way we know how to, to, to describe Him. And remember, God accommodates our ignorance whenever He gives us the Bible. He has to put it in language that we can understand, right? And so when we're speaking about his power, we speak of him as having arms and, and uh, hands. But when we speak about God's perception, we speak about God's eyes. Because the very fact that this has to do with vision. So he's talking about his eyes. And it tells us here, notice the eyes of the Lord are in every place. And notice, beholding the evil and the good. So a lot of times parents, you know, they'll teach their children uh, trying to, you know, correct their behavior or something. Don't you know the Lord sees you? 
And, and I, I've heard other people say, you ought not to ever do that. You shouldn't tell the kids that, you know. Why not? It's true. <laughs> they need to understand, and we need to understand, that God sees absolutely everything. Wouldn't it be an awful thing if one so powerful was blind? In other words, a God who had all of this power, just imagine if he was blind. Just imagine that he had no wisdom. Just imagine that he had no love. In other words, he never had our best interest at heart. And to think about all of that power that could be used for evil, you see. And so so thank God that God is an all-seeing God and that His eye is ever upon His children. There's never a moment of the day when God is not aware of what's going on in your life. Sometimes whenever we're going through hard trials, it just seems like the heavens are as brass. You know, we feel like we can't even pray that God's, you know, God has stopped up His ears. He's not listening to what we say. And sometimes we think that God doesn't take notice of the situation that we're in, but He does. His eyes are on the evil or the good. So whether, you know, whether this is a blessing or a curse to you depends on your behavior. I mean, you know, if we're doing good, isn't it a wonderful thought to think that the eyes of the Lord are upon us when we're doing good? How many times people will invest their, their lives in others? People that will make great sacrifices for the sake of others, and seemingly there's no reward for that. They don't get a pat on the back. They don't get any expression of appreciation whatsoever. They go about their daily duties. And there are many of the housewives, you know, that have just given themselves entirely to the welfare of their family. And they don't get any of the credit that they deserve. And it's such a sad thing to think about them giving so sacrificially of themselves. And nobody seems to notice. And, and by the way, it happens in church a lot of times. You know, we see someone that gets up here and they've got a lovely singing voice or they play a musical instrument and naturally, you know, our attention is directed to them. But a lot of times we take no notice of the person that maybe is in the sound room or, the, or, or some of the ushers that are out here, you know, doing other things. And, and a lot of times they, they don't get the attention that they really deserve and the appreciation. Uh, that no doubt that sometimes they long for. But the great thing about it is God knows. God sees what you do. And, uh, and, and by the way, it's a whole lot better for God to see and to know. And knowing that He is a just God and that great is your reward in heaven, that's a whole lot better than getting all of the attention from your fellow man and all of the accolades, you know, and you, you get this award and that award and you're the most popular person in town. That doesn't amount to a hill of beans. That's not worth anything whatsoever compared to knowing that God knows exactly what you've done. He's going to reward you accordingly. By the way, if you do what you do just to be seen of men, there will be no reward for that whatsoever. You'll lose your reward. Now, on the other hand, God not only sees the good, God sees the evil. 
And whenever we think about the world that we live in, it's obvious, you know, if you want to know what people think about God, well, it's really obvious in the fact that, uh, you know, here they are breaking every commandment imaginable and they have absolutely no fear of God's judgment uh, whatsoever and, uh, and, and God observing all of this. Somebody says, well, I don't think you ought to fear God. Well, you better fear God. I'll tell you what, I, I feared my, my daddy. And now, I love my daddy, and I knew my daddy loved me when I was growing up. But I knew if I broke certain rules, why, Dad would take that belt off, and he'd work me over with it. I mean, that's part of being a good dad, was for him to chastise me, you know. I didn't appreciate it then, of course. But I, you know, later on I started seeing the wisdom of that. Well, let me, let me tell you, God loves you too much to let you sin successfully. He loves you too much to allow you to sin successfully. And He sees what you do, whatever it is. You can hide it from others, but you cannot hide it from God. And so just knowing that God is watching and whether, whether it has to do with you doing good, and getting God's attention, whether it has to do with you going through deep trials and heavy burdens and all kinds of problems, and you think nobody knows, nobody cares, understand God knows and God cares. Not only does He know and care, God can help. He can do something about it. You know, a lot of times we see somebody in need and we want to help, don't we? We really do. We'd like to help. But we're limited in what we can do. We can't meet every need. That we serve a God who can. And so live every moment of every day knowing that you're constantly under the all-seeing eye of God. Now, verse number 4, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the Spirit. The wholesome words of a wise man are a blessing to others. Uh, notice it, it is a tree of life. I don't know what you think about when you think about a tree, but you know I think about uh, I think about something that produces. Right, uh, the leaves provide shade. Uh, the tree might produce nuts or fruit or whatever it is you know, and uh, so it produces something. It's it's a blessing. And, and those who have a wholesome tongue, those that are going to speak wisely, those who are going to speak gently and so forth, those are the kind of people that is a blessing to be around, but perverseness, that is crookedness, therein is a breach of the Spirit. In other words, uh, their words tend to destroy rather than to deliver. They hurt instead of help. And so we're right back on this subject again of, of how we use our tongue, the words that we speak. Verse 5, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Well, I just said that, you know, I knew enough to know that there were some things I couldn't get by with that if Dad found out, I was going to get a spanking, and rightly so. Uh, and, and, and it, you know, it would have been foolish of me to just totally ignore Dad's instructions, to not follow His orders. And boy, when you think about your relationship with God, and, and as a child of God, and for us to ignore His instructions, 
uh, th- that's about as foolish as you can get. But he that regardeth reproof is prudent. In other words, it's, he's telling us here, the wise person is eager to learn. The wise person is someone that shows respect for instructions. Uh, by the way, sometimes the best instructions that we get come by way of correction in our life. And the wise person is someone with an humble, teachable spirit that is willing to listen and learn. And, and, and so he says, he that regardeth reproof is prudent. And prudence another word that, uh, that relates to wisdom. And so you choose, you know, whether you want to be foolish or prudent, and your behavior is going to reveal the choice that you make. I'm going to mention just one other verse because I've, I'm going to have to get off my feet. I, I'm, I'm having leg cramps, and I've, I've got to stop, and I want to try to get through one more verse tonight. Uh, somebody told me I need to get a stool, and that day might be coming that I need to sit on a stool. The Bible says Jesus sat down and taught them there. You know, if he could sit down, I guess I could, but... Uh, Maybe it's my pride. I, I, I just hate to do that, but uh, you bring me one. All right. Well, bless your heart. Verse six: In the in the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. You know this is true regardless of how things appear. Because a lot of times things are not like they appear, you know. And here, notice he's talking about the house of the righteous. And in his house there is much treasure. The righteous person, you know, when we think about uh, uh, someone that loves God and somebody that lives for God, and, and he speaks here of them having great treasure. And what we forget a lot of times is that treasure involves a lot of things other than material possessions. You know, we can be rich in Christ by virtue of our relationship with Him. We have something the world doesn't have, folks. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory and a peace that passeth all understanding. And on and on and on the list goes of all of the riches that we have in Christ. And it's a treasure uh, that we have in Him, the house of the righteous, in the house of the righteous, is much treasure, not just a little bit. Remember Jesus said, he said, I come that they might have life and might have it what? More abundant. And so God doesn't just bless us a little bit. Uh, I love the way that Paul says things in, in that he uses all of these superlatives. Whenever he talks about the exceeding uh, power of God, for example, uh, and he talks about the love of God there in, in, in Ephesians and uh, how it is, you know, above and beyond anything that we can understand. And so it's kind of like Paul is saying, look, I, I'm using every word I have in my vocabulary and I don't know how else to say it, uh, but the love of God is above and beyond anything that that I can even begin to describe. And that's the way it is with God. And our riches that we have are far greater than what our mind can imagine. But notice, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. 
One, one preacher said, if we're not satisfied, we're not rich. And if we're content, we're never poor. Think about that. If we're not satisfied, it doesn't make any difference how much money we've got in the bank. If we're not satisfied, we're not rich. I mean, what good would it be to have $10 million if you're miserable? Uh, it w- wouldn't be of any use whatsoever. On the other hand, you have people that are content, and uh, they're the rich people. Someone posted a little thing on Facebook, maybe some of you saw it, and, and I don't know where it was, whether it was in Nigeria or s- somewhere over in Africa, and uh, they were making up their their food. I, I, I didn't read it all or anything, uh, but the mother was taking this some sort of meal or grain or something, but it looked like wet concrete's what it looked like. Huh? Dirt. Is that what that was? No kidding? Dirt? Seriously? Anyway, made that up. Made little flat bread looking things. Put it out in the sun. Let it bake. And, uh, and it showed those little kids out there and the, and the adults eating that, that. And I thought, my, my, you know, we, we think about how blessed we are in America. We throw out and waste more than most people have to put on their table. And, and, and I'm telling you, you know, we do that sometimes without ever giving a thought as to the fact that we are accountable to God for what we have and for what we, and for the manner in which we use what we have. And how thankful we ought to be to know that as the children of God, we have an abundance. And and by the way, and it's all by grace. We don't deserve any of it whatsoever. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Thank God for that. Boy, we don't deserve it. But God says, look, uh, you're my child and I love you. And I'm, I'm going to give this to you. And it's all out of the pure grace of God. How can we not be content considering all that God has done for us? If God never did anything else, think about it now. If God never did anything else but led us into His heaven, that would be more than fair. We wouldn't have a single thing to complain about. If we had to live every day of our life like the worst day of our life and die and go to heaven, we wouldn't have a thing to complain about. God sure good. And I hope, I hope we go away remembering that tonight. And I pray God will bless you. And Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up in verse number seven and I'm going to wear some different shoes and, uh, <laughs> or, or sit on Delia's stool.